0: Well, we'd do well to go ahead and begin. I hope everyone is doing well this morning, uh, having a good summer, I hope. And what a privilege it always is. It's good to even remind ourselves of that privilege when we, when we gather, that, that on Sunday, the Lord's Day, um, we're, we're to glorify God in, in, in all of life. Um, we, we worship God in all of life, but, but we're, we're called even in, and we benefit from obedience to God's um, call for us to gather, and when we gather, to, to focus on Him, to, to sing praises to His name, to open up the Word, to read it, to study it, and then to leave um, applying what, we, what we've learned. And So, always profitable for us to gather. Hopefully, it's been an encouragement in your walk with the Lord as you get to know other um, friends and family in the church. So, so let's just be mindful of what a, what a privilege it is each Sunday. This morning, we're going to talk about the Perseverance of the Saints. And so, for most in the room, I think you've been to some or all of, of our study on the doctrines of grace this summer. If you're just uh, joining in this week, we welcome you and glad you're here. Uh, what we've been doing is we've been looking at uh, God's work of salvation in the life of those whom He saves. And so, we've, we've trekked through a variety of important Biblical truths, looking at what the scriptures have to say about man's condition. So the need for salvation was apparent in week one when we looked at radical depravity. And I don't know that I'm actually going to follow in my little characterization of what's gone on. I'm not going to follow the order that we've we've worked through. But if, if you think of the doctrines of grace that we've explored, we began with. Um, well, early on, we talked about radical depravity, and so we're seeing that the sin has corrupted all mankind, and all mankind um, is, is dead in their sin without hope unless God intervenes, and so when we think of salvation, we're recognizing that God saves sinners. God indeed did intervene, um, so God alone can save. Um, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one seeks after God, and so we need God to, to work in our hearts if, if any of us are to be saved. So if we're thinking of the, the order that h- historically has been given in regards to the doctrines of grace, that, that next point after radical depravity speaks to election. And so we talked about unconditional election. We, we focused a lot in, in Ephesians to, to explore that reality, but Romans in particular as well, to see that, that God has chosen those whom he would save. And, and we look back, It's ch- his choosing is one of an, an unconditional act. It wasn't conditioned upon our faith. It wasn't conditioned upon our response, our obedience, or anything. It was a choosing uh, based on his sovereign good pleasure, unconditional election. God God has chosen whom he will save. Uh, We also saw that that Christ died, paid for the sin of of those whom whom, uh, God has chosen. So we talked about the Atonement, and I forget which which word Ben used. It wasn't limited atonement. Was it particular redemption? Anybody remember? Um, effect, effective atonement? Mm, I, don't, I don't remember what Ben said. Definite atonement. There we go. So uh, definite atonement was what was talked about just a few weeks ago. Uh, early on in our study, we talked about uh, Irresistible grace, the the term that we used was effectual calling, that we we definitely recognize throughout the scriptures that the gospel goes out to the world. This gospel call. Uh, We proclaim the gospel, many resist that call, and and others respond rightly to the call to uh, believe on, on the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of sin, and turn to Christ. So there's this gospel call that goes out in a general way. But but, um, those whom the Father draws come. And so that's what we're talking about when we're saying effectual call. Like no one can resist God's will. So those who God chooses to save, He he draws them. And we'll even be in one of these passages this morning. But uh, when when God draws someone unto salvation, it's an irresistible, it's an effectual call. Uh, They respond based on God's call. And so that's what we talked about with effectual call or irresistible grace. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about that last letter in, in that acronym that we have just destroyed. Uh, TULIP has now become nowhere close to that, but, but it does finish with the letter P. So uh, we're going to talk about the perseverance of the saints. If I was going to be particularly picky or uh, parsnickety, um, I could say the preservation of the saints, uh, honestly, it deals with both. When we talk about the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, we're talking about primarily God's preservation of the saints. But all those who, uh, who God saves, he preserves unto the end. And those whom he, in light of his preserving those whom he saves, they will persevere. So as we talk about the perseverance of the saints, we're looking at what... what the work that God is doing in those whom he saves, he preserves them to the end. Uh, and in light of God's preservation, all genuine believers persevere unto the end. So, so I think it's fine. It, it's helpful to think perseverance, as long as we're mindful of, of we're talking about what God is doing. And, and the work that God is doing is a work of preservation. And the work that God does in preserving us produces in us a perseverance. We persevere unto the end. So there are a lot of verses that we're going to look at this morning and make some comments on those texts as we walk through. But we want to look at both the promises of preservation that are throughout, where it will primarily be in the New Testament this morning. But I do even want to look at just the promises of the new covenant uh, given in the Old Testament, seeing that work of preservation that God will do. So we'll talk about the promises of preservation And then we'll look at a variety of calls to perseverance. So we're going to look at both both of those aspects of the perseverance of the saints. God's promises of preservation and God's call to persevere that is given to the saints. And then hopefully clarify a few misconceptions. What is not meant by perseverance? perseverance. That'll conclude our time. So let me begin in prayer and then we'll start with the definition and then walk through these texts that you have on your handout. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this morning. As we gather as the people of God, we're mindful that, that uh, you receive all the glory. You're worthy of our praise and you receive all the glory for the work that you're doing in our lives. God, you Save sinners. You delight in saving. You are glorified through saving. You're glorified because it's a work that you do. And uh, you do it from beginning to end as we think of that, that calling from, from eternity past. And then we'll be mindful this morning of, of that preservation that, that go, goes on into eternity. In the future, that that work of salvation you do is from everlasting to everlasting. You, you called us before the foundation of the world, and you preserve us into the end. And so we we delight in that truth. Help us to understand it. Uh, I pray that it would be a source of comfort for all of this of, of us this morning. I pray it would prompt us to evangelize the lost, to to plead with family and friends to trust in Christ. I pray it would even be a source of motivation in the life of a believer to pursue holiness. As we even note warnings given to, to those who, who fall away. And God, I pray that it would be a, a source of um, conviction for, for any who might claim to know Christ and have never trusted in Christ. And so I pray that it might compel many to, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So be glorified this morning as we, as we study these truths. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Perseverance of the saints. Let's start with a definition. Uh, the bulk of our time will be in the scriptures. This, this first point is uh, commentary upon the scriptures. So this is not an inerrant statement here. This is actually from the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's an attempt that would have been made by these Westminster divines to To define what we're talking about when we start talking about perseverance of the saints. And so you have it in front of you. What is the perseverance of the saints? Here's the definition from from Westminster. They whom God has accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly Persevere therein to the end, and be eternally saved. So we just kind of look carefully at that definition. You're seeing who we're talking about at the beginning of this definition. We're talking about genuine believers, those who God has demonstrated His love upon, who He has effectually called, um, who are being sanctified in the Spirit. Uh, Those those are who are in Christ, accepted in the in His beloved. It says, genuine believers, those genuine believers can neither totally nor finally fall away. Uh, that's helpful. We'll, we'll get to this in a minute when we're talking about what we do not intend to communicate. When we talk about perseverance, we are not talking about sinlessness. We're not talking about perfection. And so even in this definition where, where these Westminster divines are articulating, we're not talking about, we are talking about someone who will not totally or finally fall away from the state of grace, but they certainly are recognizing and, and will speak to the realities that, that sin still remains. Uh, we're no longer you know slaves to sin, but, but um, the flesh continues to wreak havoc on in our, in our lives with the, between the flesh, the devil, the world, you know, sin still remains in the life of a believer. But a genuine believer will not, never finally or, or totally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. So those, this is what we'll get to in a minute too. We'll go back to this golden chain of salvation, recognizing that all who, who God has called will ultimately be glorified. So perseverance of the saints certainly falls in on that understanding of this golden chain of salvation that everyone who God effectually calls will ultimately be glorified, because all whom He calls will persevere unto the end. Perseverance of the saints. So what this is communicating, and and honestly, if you start thinking about these five points that the tulip that we've been talking about if if some of them are more controversial than others i would submit that uh, that this perseverance of the saints is one that that many uh, that would describe themselves as well not convinced of of the doctrines of grace but might fall into a camp of being um, of arminian teaching many desire to still cling to um, eternal security you know once saved always saved that you can't lose your salvation. I mean that's something that you're gonna have a lot of people agreeing on, even if they don't agree with, with all that we've talked about in the doctrines of grace. But it's worth noting that, that was that was not what that was not the case when when the, these canons of Dort were were worked out. In fact, let me if you remember the canons of Dort when if if our English tulip, you know, that's Hundred and something years old, some guy, a man's attempt to kind of like characterize the canons of Dort. The canons of Dort back in the 17th century are a response to the remonstrants. And so that the remonstrants would have been individuals who'd been kind of taught under Jacob Arminius. They, they were not happy with the direction of the theology. Uh, they, they, they were convinced more by Arminius than they were by the um, majority of others that were, were teaching. The, the doctrines of grace, and so they, they presented the, this remonstrance uh, communicating what, what they disagreed with in regards to the doctrines of grace, what we would know as the doctrines of grace. And, and this particular issue was one that they were not settled on yet. Uh, and I think it's kind of fascinating to, to realize some of these other things, they were persuaded, they were convinced, they were sure that, uh, they, that they disagreed with unconditional election, that they disagreed with limited atonement, irresistible grace. But um, the the issue of of whether or not you could lose your salvation, they were not settled on it. Let me quote from the Remonstrance. This is 1610. Okay, Here's what they said. But whether they can, uh, speaking of those who profess Christ, whether they can, through negligence, fall away from the first principle of their life in Christ, again, embrace the present world, depart from doctrine, that was once given to them. Lose the good conscience. Neglect grace. Must first be more carefully determined from the holy scriptures before we shall be able to teach this with the full persuasion of our heart. Uh, you don't have it in front of you, and it's kind of wordy. But realize at the very end, they're saying whether or not somebody can fall away. They say uh, we sh- before we can teach that with full persuasion. Um, But we're just not there yet. We can't teach that with full persuasion that that people can fall away from the faith. That's sixteen ten. So then, if you think about the Canons of Dort, that's a response to the Remonstrance, where they made it very clear that you could not fall away from the faith. So in the Canons of Dort, they would say that God um, God preserves all whom He saves. But here's what the here's what Dort would say: God is faithful he mercifully strengthens them in the grace once conferred on them and powerfully preser- preserves them unto the end. So the remonstrance says, I'm not really, we're not sure whether people can lose their salvation or not. Dort, the, the statement is made clear, those who are saved will not fall away based on God's faithfulness. God is faithful uh, and he will powerfully preserve them unto the end. 16.10, they say they're not sure. Dort, were sure they cannot lose their salvation. So then a few years later, in their response to Dort, the authors of the Remonstrance end up saying this, and this is what I think is significant. Uh, after they, they read Dort's response, they say, true believers can fall from true faith. <laughs> um, true believers can persevere in shameful and atrocious deeds and finally fall and perish. So what I'm trying to say, and hopefully I'm doing it in a clear way, is just saying this was unsettled in their minds. They, they did not like the reformed teaching that was going on. And so in 1610, when they are try, seeking to refute the reformed teaching that is dominating um, the, this, the institutions and the churches, they say, we're a little uncomfortable with this, like, uh, perseverance of the saints. We're not sure if people can fall away or not. So then Dort says, you cannot, genuine believers cannot fall away. And so then their response in 1618 is saying, actually, now we are convinced otherwise. We disagree with you fully. True believers can fall away. So so realize that just classic Arminianism is saying genuine believers can lose their salvation. That's 17th century um, Arminianism. I'm not at all suggesting that that's what uh, everybody would believe today. It, it certainly was what John Wesley uh, believed. He he was convinced uh, genuine believers would fall away and did fall away, and, and so he he held to um, that people could lose their salvation. So, uh, Reformed teaching, though, holy perseverance of the saints making it clear that those whom God saves will persevere into the end. That's what we're going to look at uh, as we look at these texts. So so let's let's do so. Let's um. Let's go straight into these key texts. We're going to begin with the promises of preservation. You have in front of you, uh, John 6 is your first passage. Write down just a couple passages real quick that I didn't put in in that um, section. Uh, I do want to read several verses in addition to what you have in front of you. Just even realize that this promise of this everlasting covenant, the new covenant, promises that are given in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 32.40. Listen carefully to what is what is said here. Jeremiah 32.40 says, I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts, that they may not turn from me. So just some key words in that text, Jeremiah 32.40, say God is saying what He will do. God's saying, I will make an everlasting covenant. I will not turn away. Uh, they may not turn from me. That's what we're seeing in, in Jeremiah 32, 40. Both this, they will not turn away. They're going to persevere. Uh, I, w- the, uh, I will not turn away preservation. They may not turn perseverance. Right? So you see them both. Jeremiah 32.40. Okay, next. Uh, John 3.16, probably a familiar verse, right? Think of, think of a phrase that is throughout the New Testament when we're talking about salvation, that, that's right there in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so you're thinking of the countless, well, you could count them, the, the many examples in the New Testament of where salvation is described as eternal life life. You know, this is life that is everlasting. It is not life that is experienced temporarily and then potentially lost. Those who are saved are granted eternal life. So you cannot lose that which is everlasting. It's not something that is experienced in a temporal way. It is something that is everlasting. Uh, Those who are saved receive eternal life. And so just John 3.16, and we'll We'll have other examples here in the text, but just realize that every time you see that in the New Testament, with salvation described as eternal life, we're just mindful of the fact that when God saves, He saves us unto eternal life, and we have great confidence in that—that that, that we cannot lose that which is eternal. Now, you do have um, John six noted in front of you, and and I, in the next few weeks, we're going to spend. Charlie will be with us spending a good bit of time in the Gospel of John. But John 6, uh, I would turn there. This is, uh, if you're able to, I, I turn to most of these passages. Um, and I'll try and track through them in, in a time, timely way. But John 6, 37 through 40, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Just a review real quick, if you were, if you were to put that statement under one of these categories that we've talked about in the doctrines of grace, what, what, are we, uh, what is being appealed to? Here, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Yeah, yeah, so you're really seeing that effectual call, this irresistible grace. All that the Father gives will come. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So everyone who comes will never be cast out. John 637. 38, for I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So I should lose nothing and I will raise it up on the last day. So you're seeing that uh, preservation of the the saints because he will lose none and he will raise them up. On the last day. Verse 40 For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. There it is again eternal life. That's what we experience. When we're saved, we receive eternal life. And again, Jesus, I will raise him up on the last day. This is a promise of preservation. All that the Father draws will be saved. All who are saved will be raised up on the last day because Jesus will lose none of those who the Father sent. John 6. Move down to John 10. And uh, You're really kind of walking through the New Testament here. So, so these are, the order that's given here would just be the order of the book's New Testament. I don't have a, another basis for this outline. So if you're just kind of like walking through the New Testament, just keep turning to the right and we'll... Um, we'll explore these verses. John, John 10. John 10, 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Um, again, ir- irresistible grace there. I mean, everyone who, who hears, you know, th- they hear his voice, and they follow. Uh, he knows them. I know them, and they follow me. Verse 28, though. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. So you've seen this synonymous reality between uh, eternal life means you will never perish. you 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 are saved, and God will preserve that salvation. So John ten uh, twenty eight I give them eternal life; they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Just real quick, uh, this is interesting to to note. Even so, I guess in a way I'm picking on John Wesley uh, by just referring to him alone in this. Uh, but. He 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 took the scripture seriously. Uh, He he loved the word of God, so he didn't just ignore these passages. Uh, What he thought was going on here is he's saying no one else can harm you in your salvation. No one can if you're saved. No one can come and snatch you out. He's saying that, but but you can harm yourself by by unbelief or falling away or denying or falling into. You know, all sorts of sin. So when, when he would read John 10, uh, 28, he's saying, It's true, no one will snatch them out of his hand, but you can jump out of his hand, uh, would be kind of what, what he would understand that to be meaning. So kind of, kind of a interesting thing to observe there. Uh, not at all convinced by that um understanding. Verse 29. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. First Corinthians, oh no, um you have it in your handout uh Romans eight. Uh, un, uh sorry about that. I actually put the text down at Romans eight, thirty-five to thirty-nine. Is that case is there. Okay. It's not in your little bracket though. Um tell you what, go back to verses well that's not helpful if you have it in your handout. We've spent so much time in, in Romans 8:29 and 30. We that's that golden chain, right? So that realize that's what's happening. When you're looking in your handout and it says, you know, we're we're jumping in in verse 35, remember what had just happened, what Paul had just been instructing the Romans in. Uh, when, he, when he's saying in verses 29 and 30 that this golden chain that all who he foreknew, he predestined. Uh, all that are predestined, he called. All whom he, all whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. So that's that golden chain of salvation right there, just a few verses earlier. And then in Romans 8, 35 through 39, um, could I get... Some, Doug, would you, would you read that for us? Romans 8, 35 through 39... nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you for reading that. Um, If you're just thinking of this category, uh, I've said promises of preservation. So then when you look at these promises in Romans 8, the the real comfort that, that informs every believer to know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So if you think Romans 8, 28 through 30, and you're thinking that love of God that has been poured out on all who he foreknew, because all who he foreknew will be glorified. And, and so then what is being expounded upon just a few verses later is saying that that love that has been demonstrated on all whom he saves, nothing can separate us from the love of God. This would be an interesting cross-reference even to confront that, that point I was making just a minute ago about saying, well, others might be able to snatch you out, but, but you can jump out of the Father's love. Well, look at Romans 8 when it's saying, nor anything else in all creation. That's you. you know, you're a created being. So it's not just others can't harm you in your Uh, status with God. It's that you can't harm you in in your status with God. Nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Uh, It's often pointed out to us when we're talking about salvation, you know, that that if we, uh, I think even quoted MacArthur often would say, you know, if, if I was able to lose my salvation, I would. Uh, I think that's a helpful point to, to recognize. Romans 8.37 uh, is saying you're more than conquerors. That's the perseverance. Romans 8.39 is saying you're not able to lose your salvation because nothing in all of creation, including yourself, will be able to separate you from the love of God. Um, I wonder if I can find it here. Uh, I can. Uh, in, in Dort, they, they said a similar thing. This was an uh, article... One of, of one of their points. I'm sure that's really helpful to you in your documentation here. But they said, uh, in regards to the ability to, to lose um, salvation, mm, no, I'm not going to be able to. They say the same thing. They just say, uh, with respect to themselves, this not only easily could happen, referring to losing salvation, if, if losing your salvation was possible— in Dort they're saying, with respect to, to this, not, this is not only easily something that could happen, but also undoubtedly would happen. If it was possible, it not only easily would happen, losing your salvation, but it, it, it necessarily would. It undoubtedly would. If it's, if it's up to you, it's, it's not a good scenario. So it, it's up to God. God's the one who preserves. And so Romans 8 is reminding us of that. We are more than conquerors. That's talking about our... Our perseverance uh, and the reason that we are more than conquerors, the reason we persevere is because God preserves. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. First uh, Corinthians one. I've just keep on looking at these these cross references that are that are listed there for you. First Corinthians one seven through nine. It says, "So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ." who will sustain you to the end. So note that 1 Corinthians 1.8 speaks of the fact that, that he, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. And here's the position that you're sustained in. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will sustain, sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's good to note that character of God on display in this reality of perseverance of the saints. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1 9. What, what attribute of God are we mindful of when we're thinking of this preservation? Um, it even came up in Jeremiah when we're talking about the new covenant. It's the faithfulness of God. So, so we're recognizing God's faithfulness is on display, and, and He's saving those whom He'd save and preserving them unto the end. So 1 Corinthians 1, 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son. 1 Corinthians 10, a verse that many memorize, we're reminded of, of God's faithfulness on display in the life of a believer, not allowing us to be tempted more than we're able to handle. Verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it certainly speaking to God's preservation in, in our life in a battle with sin there are warnings of, of you know making shipwreck of your faith but th- those warnings are to be taken seriously it, it it compels us to pursue holiness but 1 Corinthians 10 is reminding us of this preserving Power that God places on those who are genuinely saved, they they will persevere into the end because he in his faithfulness will not allow them to be tempted beyond their ability. Second Corinthians 4, verse 14 says, Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise, will raise us also with Jesus, and bring us with you into his presence. Uh, promise that we know those who are saved, will be brought into His presence. He will raise us with Jesus. Ephesians 1, we've been there quite a bit in our study. If you're thinking of of that calling that is placed on all who God saves from eternity past, in verse 13, then it says, "...and in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit." Language is helpful to think of. God has sealed us in the Holy Spirit, uh, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. I mean, all of these are such key words. Until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So just real quickly, recognizing if, if it's God who's doing this preservation, that's why it's to God alone be the glory. So it's not like, man, I'm awesome for persevering into the end. No, no, no. Ephesians 1 is saying, God is awesome. God is the one who has preserved you unto the end. So it's to His praise alone, to the praise of His glory. Uh, he has sealed you with the promised Holy Spirit, and in being sealed, it's this guarantee of inheritance that we will acquire possession of it, possession of eternal life. Uh, on and on we could go. Tell you what, um, I'm glad you have those, those verses in front of you because you can look at them later. But, but. Philippians on down through Jude, uh, all of those texts just continue to remind us of the preserving work that God does in the life of every genuine believer. So 1 Thessalonians 5 talks about being kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And and then it speaks to his faithfulness saying, he who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. So we just know God is surely going to do this work of, of, of keeping us, sealing us, Until the end, he will surely do it. Um, Hebrews nine speaks of this—the securing of eternal redemption. I mean, it it is a secure thing; it is a sure thing. Um, Those who are called may receive the eternal inheritance. That's what Hebrews nine talks about. First Peter, we were just there—not all that long ago—on Sunday morning, talking about this imperishable inheritance. God's power guarding us for salvation, ready to be revealed. On and on these texts go, just speaking of God preserves us to the end. Let's just, um, this is going to be our benediction today at the end of the service. So let's, let's finish this section of Promises of Preservation, which is looking at Jude. Real quick, if you, if you turn there quickly, you'll see at the very beginning of this letter, the addressees who, who Jude is writing to, he says, To those who were called, beloved in God the Father, and kept, for Jesus Christ. It's good just to remember these, these words that describe us. Uh, those who are called are those who are being kept. You know, kept. Gospel of John, uh, no one can snatch them away, right? They're, they're being kept for Jesus Christ. And then at the end of Jude, what we'll read to conclude our service is, "...now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling." and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. So we're talking about uh, God the Father is, has kept, kept us in Jesus Christ. And, and He's able. He's all-powerful. So now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. Uh, again, that Romans 8 reality. Nothing and all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So then, in your handout, that what we're, we're saying is there are numerous promises of preservation. And that's what we're talking about in the perseverance of the saints. The other side of the coin here, in this work God preserves, so that, and, and in light of God's preservation of us, we persevere until the end. And so with both of these categories I could put more verses, you'll notice I didn't put nearly as many here, but we could have put more, but but there are calls to perseverance that go out throughout the scriptures when they when the whether it's Paul or others who are writing believers. Believers are given this call to persevere. It's not just saying you once saved always saved. And so because uh, that's a true statement, once saved, always saved. But but we're recognizing that those whom God saves, you are given this command to persevere. So God is going to preserve you, but there's still emphasis given in the scriptures of those whom God has preserved. We are called to persevere. It's going to be the fruit of salvation. It's not the root. It's not works righteousness, but perseverance demonstrates that preserving work that God has done. So uh, we'll look at we'll look at several verses real quick just on this call to perseverance. Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 10, Matthew 10, 22, verse 22, Matthew 10, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This falls right in line with what we're talking about. This is not at all negating the, the reality that God preserves us into the end. You don't read Matthew 10, and say, oh man, it's saying we can lose our salvation. Um, that's not a necessary um, understanding of verse 22. The, the reality here is the one who endures to the end will be saved because the one who endures to the end is the one whom God has been who God called, the one who God saves, the one who God preserves, and the one who God preserves will persevere unto the end. So Matthew ten twenty two is saying the one who endures to the end will be saved. Um, a similar uh, warning, uh, a call to perseverance is given in Romans chapter eleven. Romans eleven twenty two. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. This is a sincere, genuine warning given. Uh, It's saying God's kindness to you is evident. Uh, Note the kindness. Note the kindness. The severity of God. Severity, that's what is being poured out on those who are not saved. What does it say? Uh, severity toward those who have fallen. It says, but God's kindness to you, provided that you don't fall away. You know, so again, we're just saying evidence of a genuine believer is perseverance into the end. God's kindness on those who are genuinely saved uh, because. Those who fall away are, are those who were never saved. And where do I get that? Well, that's, that's the next verse that's, that's on your handout. Um, 1 John 2. The, the text is actually there for you in the handout. I mean, what are we to do with, with this? This is something that we, we experience with, with those who we love. This is a, this is a, a hard truth, but it, it's truth that helps us understand Confusing realities, confusing circumstances. Look at First John two. Uh, you know individuals that would have identified themselves with the church, and John is, and, and they've they've abandoned the faith. They're promoting false doctrine. Um, what whatever the circumstance, First John two it says they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So 1 John 2.19 is just so clarifying as it is painful to, to recognize that those who, who fall away from the faith, um, finally, you know, you know uh, they, uh, they were never of us. It's not that they lost their salvation, it's that they never had salvation. They went out because they were not of us. That's First John 2, 19. Okay, so, so we could go other places to, to point to the importance of perseverance. We could even go other places to speak to the, um, the, the reality of these promises of preservation, but we'll just use those verses to point out uh, perseverance, of the spain, uh, perseverance of the saints Excuse me. speaks to uh, the, God's preserving work and, and man's uh, perseverance in light of that preservation that God uh, pours out in our lives. So, that's what we mean. What do we not mean? Just real quickly, uh, we don't mean sinless perfection. So what does it mean to persevere? Well, it doesn't mean that, that we don't sin anymore. And, and, and you know that, that section in 1 John 1, uh, where we're seeing both this balance between battling sin, taking sin seriously, but also this reality that, that sin still remains in the life of a believer. So 1 John 1.8, the, the call is, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So if you deny the reality of sin in your life, I mean, you're, you're calling God a liar. You're, saying, I'm, uh, you're denying a reality. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So our right response is not, not to deny that we're sinners, it's to confess our sins, and God is faithful to forgive us of our sins. So if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, his word is not in us. So, okay, may, then sin's not that big a deal, right? Like if, if sin remains, all we, we confess our sin. Uh, no, look at chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what John's writing this. Uh, if you say you're without sin, you're deceiving yourself. Verse 1 of chapter 2, then he says, So I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. Like we're, we're able not to sin when we are genuine believers. And John's writing this so that they may not sin like battle sin, be mortifying sin in your life. And then he, and then he goes on, pastoral way. But if anyone does sin, uh, you've abandoned the faith. No, no, that's not what he says. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So you're just seeing, to say a, a, the genuine believers, saints persevere, we're not saying saints are sinless because First John that, makes that very clear. So just real quickly, just saying, we're not talking about sinless perfection. And in that last point too, recognize here's one of the things that we are not saying about perseverance. We're not saying that a profession of faith is always proof that someone is a true Christian. A true Christian perseveres into the end, but there are certainly examples in the scripture, examples in church history, examples in our own circles Of individuals who profess Christ, but who are not genuinely saved. And um, I was thinking we were going to go to to the parable of the soils in Mark 4. Uh, You might just want to read that again later just to to be reminded of these varying responses to the gospel, where some of the responses are an immediate, apparent right response, but quickly fades away. Uh, it's only that, that final soil that's representative of genuine conversion. Look, look at that passage later in Mark 4, but, but we'll just use Matthew 7. This is an, uh, another text in the scripture that reminds us that a profession of faith um, is not always proof that someone is a true Christian. So Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So we do recognize that that there are those who would profess the name of Christ, but who are not genuinely saved. So we ought to be, grieved by that, and troubled by that, and compelled to evangelize in light of that. But we ought not be confused or surprised by, by that, that, that individuals that, that professed faith fell away. We, we, don't have, we don't have to dive into thinking, well, I think they lost their salvation. And the scriptures make it clear that they never had salvation. And so, so we pray for them, and we plead with them to turn to Christ but it shouldn't surprise us when that happens. A profession of faith is not always proof that someone is a true Christian. Real quick, I'll just quote Kevin DeYoung as our closing um, statement here. I thought this was such a helpful reality in light of everything we've talked about with the doctrines of grace. Here's what Kevin DeYoung writes. We need a God who does the unconditional electing, a God who does the effectual dying, A God who does the supernatural resurrecting, a God who does the unilateral gifting, and a God who does the unbreakable preserving. That's the grace we need. That's the God we worship. Um, I think that's so helpful with this unbreakable preserving. Uh, We need that just as much as we need that unconditional electing, effectual dying, supernatural resurrecting, unilateral gifting. We need an unbreakable preserving. Because if we could lose our salvation, we would. So we need God to preserve us until the end. And praise God that that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these truths. God, we thank you for the work of salvation you need to do in the hearts of your children. God, may we just delight in this. May, may we give you all the praise and glory for this. Uh, may we go forth proclaiming the gospel to the world, pleading with, uh, with those uh, who hear this message to respond rightly to the gospel, to repent of sin and turn to Christ. And we pray for such conversions to take place in our families, in our, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and all the different conversations we have with individuals as we share the gospel. God, be glorified through saving sinners and preserving them into the end. I love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.